Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. The man God uses. I'm going to start by highlighting two extremes in the body of Christ. When I start my sermon like that. Anyways, I'm going to start by highlighting two extremes in the body of Christ. And the first extreme is an overemphasis on the efforts of a believer to attain a level of holiness that leaves no room to see the complete involvement of the Holy Ghost. Did you get that? <laughs> An overemphasis on the efforts of a person to attain a state of holiness that leaves no room to see the involvement of the Holy Spirit in that holiness. Does that make sense? It's because people are writing and you're not listening. I don't get it. Do you get it now? Write there. I'm wrong. It's okay to write. It's an overemphasis on the efforts of a person to attain a level of holiness. Maybe the English is too... It's emphasizing too much your ability to make yourself holy without leaving room to see the place of the Holy Spirit in that holiness. It's an extreme. The second extreme is an emphasis on holiness by the Spirit and by the presence of God, but almost totally neglecting the believer's response, which is personal holiness as a result of what the Spirit has done. Do you get it? So the first set of people overemphasize their works, their ability to make themselves holy and leave no room for us to see the place of the Spirit, the presence of God in that holiness. And the second set of people emphasize so much on the place of the Spirit but totally neglect the place of the personal actions which are the results of your holiness, of, of the holiness that God gives. Hallelujah. So, if you're, if you've been in some circles, you hear of them calling some people the grace people. It's a very funny and childish term. Should not be found in the body of Christ. What is grace people? Then you are what? Works people. If you call us, if you call some people grace people, then you should be works people now. It's childish, I feel so. Yeah, grace preachers. What's that? You, you are what? Preacher of what? Works. Preacher of the law, Moses. <laughs> you know. I feel like it needs to be corrected. Stop. Then they go as far as now, they now stop calling it grace. They say hyper grace. 
Say hyper grace message. Say, what's the name of your church? Say, oh, my church is um, rejoicing church. Uh, like rejoicing. Is it rejoicing? You are rejoicing in your church. Oh, it's one of those new generation hyper grace churches. What are you saying, sir? I taught you in my teaching hyper grace. I said, if it's not hyper, it's not grace. Because the grace of God has to show your total inability to save yourself. And the complete involvement, the lavish graciousness of God. If you don't preach it like that, it's not grace. Hallelujah. So the body of Christ struggles with this balance. And so it looks like the people who are trying to help us grow in sanctification end up affecting our understanding of the finished work of Christ. And then the people who are trying to help us grow in our revelation of the finished work of Christ, mind you, I said work of Christ, not works of Christ, work of Christ, innocently make us passive when it comes to growth in sanctification. So, people who preach grace to you make you become passive when it comes to personal holiness. And people who emphasize on personal holiness do not make you see the place of the finished work of Christ. I have a standpoint in which extreme I will prefer. I'm not going to say anything. Hallelujah. But the Bible teaches both. What did I say? They must go hand in hand. And for the benefit of everyone, what is sanctification? Ah, thank God. Say, I build my notes like this. So now so I'm going to talk sanctification. Everybody could just sanctify you. <laughs> eh? To make holy. What does holiness mean? To be set apart. Hallelujah. Good. And many people think holiness actually means to be separate from sin. But actually, we know that God is holy. And if God is holy, and holiness means to be separate from sin, then God will have no involvement with humans. So there has to be something deeper than that that holiness means. Praise God. Are you following me? It has to be something more than that that holiness means. Holiness means to be separate. To be set apart. Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus. He says, blessed be God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has done what, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He says, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundations of the world to be what? Holy and blameless before him in love. So, Paul is saying you've been chosen to be holy. Can they choose you to be morally excellent? So, that means he's not talking about moral excellence, right? He says, God has chosen you to be holy and blameless before him in love. So, he's talking about a choosing, chosen to be holy, a separation. That's what holiness means. To be set apart. Hallelujah. To be what? To be set apart. If you do an exegesis, I remember when we were talking about um, Psalms. If you do an exegesis on, on, on 
the anointing of the Holy Ghost. The, not the anointing of the Holy Ghost, actually. The anointing of oil to make you holy, according to what they did in the Old Testament. You understand that the oil was to signify the separation of sheep. So when a sheep has been, I didn't plan to say this, but when a sheep has been covered, has been covered with lies and infested with stuff and is sick, the shepherd takes oil and rubs it all over the sheep and keeps it separate from the rest. Are you with me? And it has its reason in, in preserving that sheep. Praise God. Um, I remember my grandpa, before he died, when a dog has on-ear stuff, that injury on the ear, he would say, take black engine oil and put it there. <laughs> so, so I said it, I just say oil. What are you saying, oil? I was like, you don't have spray. I said, that's what they told us. And funny enough, it works. I don't know why, but it works. Hallelujah. So, we see scriptures talk about a concept of holiness that is different from what you've been taught all your life. Praise God. Let's go to the first place the word holy was used. How many of you were there when I taught Bible hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible? Uh, many people were not there. They come fellowship. Oh, they come fellowship. I thought how to interpret the Bible recently now. And when we were learning about how to interpret the Bible, I talked about a law, one of the laws in biblical interpretation called the law of first mention. Where because the Bible is a progressive book, and Pastor Nelson told you yesterday that progressive in the sense does not mean progressive in revelation unto the sense that you have something deeper or something new. Because anything new that you get from the Bible is synonymous to error. Hallelujah. What the writer wrote, what the writer intended is what you must understand. Anything deeper than what he intended is error. Is that clear? Good. Let me just do a little more so you understand. If I write nine on the floor, a man who is coming from here will see nine. A man who is coming from here will see six. If you ask two of them, you say it depends on perspective. It's a lie. Ask me that I wrote it. I know what I wrote. Your perspective does not matter in your interpretation of scriptures. So there's no growth in revelation in the sense of growth to see deeper things that were not there before. There's only growth to see him and understand him more clearly. Is that clear? Good. So in the law of first mention, it states that... Um, the way a particular word is used in the Bible dictates, in the first time, dictates how it will be used, the context at which it will be understood in the rest of scriptures. Are you with me? So it's such a, sort of like you're reading a letter and someone defines a word um, sort of like a man and he uses the word to imply something else. When you see it in other places, you would know to not interpret it as an, another context, but the context he started with. You get, and this is how the law of first mention works many times and so when we go to the first place the word holy was used in the bible exodus chapter 3 and verse 2 says and the angel of the lord appeared unto him in a flame out of the midst of the bush and he looked and behold the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I, Lord. For those online, someone can help you post scriptures. Anyways, no, I'm not going to distract anybody. Open your Bible by yourself. 
Don't worry. <laughs> and Moses, and he said, draw near, put off your shoes, for the place where you are standing is what? Is what? Holy ground. So here, we see a place being called holy. Now I remember that I forgot something. Anyways, that's aside the point. We see a ground being called holy. What did the ground do to be holy? Is the ground morally excellent? Is it because the ground had not been stepped on before? So why is that ground holy? It was chosen to be holy. Because God was there. So the place was holy, not because it had not done anything. Maybe not because of anything it had done, but simply because God was there. He was chosen to be holy. This is a concept of holiness that the Bible teaches. Hallelujah. Let's see the second place. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 16. And on the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. At the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation to, a convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. So now we see a place called a convocation, a day called what? Holy. What did the day do to be holy? Simply that it was chosen to be holy. And the same way, God's people are chosen to be what? To be holy and blameless before him in love. Where righteousness is, is accounted to a man, not by what he can do, but by what Christ has done. Are you getting me? This is a holiness that the Bible teaches. This is what we call the finished work of Christ. Abraham experienced this. You know, when you hear of the new covenant, the new covenant, new covenant is not so new. Because even before they got the law, somebody was declared righteous. So we see Abraham and open Genesis 15, 6. And Abraham is here. And God shows Abraham everything he's going to do. And scripture says, Abraham believed God and he was counted to him as what? As righteousness. Was it because Abraham never sinned? So why was Abraham declared a righteous man? Because he believed. Hallelujah. You see in the Old Testament, the way you know God's people is not by their works. It's by a mark. So God made a covenant with Abraham and of his people. And he said, on the eighth day, you shall circumcise them unto me. He says, this shall be a mark to the world. So the way you know people that are of God is that they carry a mark. What's that mark? Circumcision. Some of you think circumcision. Let's continue. Circumcision. Hallelujah. And that mark was supposed to signify that you are of God. That's why you will see David say to Goliath, when they were, he acknowledged Goliath, but he was like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Why? The people that are circumcised are God's people. Why? A mark. There was a mark that was placed on the people that are of God. 
What separated them from the rest of the world was not what they were doing. God will always fight for Israel because they are his. Are you getting what I'm saying? You hear the story of Dagon. Yoruba has a song. The Dagon is Nothing could stand. No army. Even till now. No army could stand against their army. Why? Simply because they poured the mark of God. Hallelujah. And I've taught you time and again that that was even a symbol. It was not the real thing. Praise God. It was only what? A symbol. It was not even the real thing. And later you see from the progressiveness of scripture that the circumcision was a shadow, a symbol of the mark that God was going to give to his people. What was that mark? The mark of the spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. What does he say? He says, in whom you trusted. Afterwards, you heard the word of truth. He says, and the gospel of your salvation in whom you believed and after which you were sealed with what? The Holy Spirit of promise. So every believer now has what? The Holy Spirit of promise. He says you were what? Sealed. What was circumcision used to do? To show that you belong to God. A branding. Paul is describing the man in Christ now and what the spirit does. He says you were sealed with the Holy Ghost. What does a seal do? He brands you that you belong to somebody. Do you get what I'm saying? When you go to a place and the seal is broken, you don't believe its authenticity. So when God put his seal in you as the spirit, he branded you as his. Hallelujah. So you see that circumcision was only a symbol to show you what was going to happen to you. And I'm going to explain better. Let me not go ahead of myself. Hallelujah. I'm not going to go ahead of myself. It says, he calls it the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Hallelujah. I've explained what earnest means to you. Read it. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, everybody. Verse 13. Read it together. Are you all there? Everybody read it. One, two, go. In whom you trusted, after you had the word of truth. Next verse. Amazing. You are sealed. Every believer has the spirit of God. A seal. He calls it the NS. The N NS there means down payment. Are you with me? So I want to give you 5 million naira. And I put the 5 million naira in an account. And I give you the card. Do you have the 5 million yet? You have. You just haven't made an action to withdraw. That's what the spirit is. Every possession you have in God, God gave you when he gave you the spirit. It's a down payment. That's why it's called the earnest. Are you with me? 
be earnest. That's not even a proper analogy. If you are going to get a homer jeep in heaven, God decides to give you a homer jeep on earth. It's an equivalent. You have all the power here. You're only limited by the flesh. Hallelujah. You have all the power here. So by the spirit, you are marked of God. Praise Jesus. So it sounds so good to be true that the women should believe in God. You are counted righteous. He gives you his spirit and he marks you forever. Do you know what that marking means? Do you know what the down payment is? It's not heaven at last now. It's heaven at first. Why? Because the moment you receive the spirit, you've received heaven. It's like this. If you are going to die today and you are in a plane and you are going to fall down from the plane and you have a life jacket, will you be scared of drowning? So if the agent that is going to cause us to resurrect, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead already dwells in you, it says that same spirit we do was will quicken your mortal bodies. So the agents, the agency for resurrection, the agency by which you will reach heaven has already been given to you. So are you scared if you are going to heaven? Do you get that marking? Do you understand? Now is it clearer? Hallelujah. Scripture says, by no works, no man can please God. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. So by believing, you become marked of God. And holiness is accounted to you. Praise God. But there's another holiness the Bible emphasizes. You get the first holiness, right? Not by anything you can do. By a choosing. You know, when I was trying to explain Ephesians, somebody thought that God has, when, when he said he has chosen us to be holy and blameless, it, it's not that he has selected those that will be holy and blameless. Are you with me? He has chosen you. And the way you become a part of the chosen is by believing. Do you get? Is that clear? But there's another holiness the Bible emphasizes. That's why when Pastor Nelson was talking yesterday about some things, he sort of opened up my note a little bit. It's another holiness the Bible emphasizes. And listen, this has to break your heart if you are truly saved. That the things you used to do before that will cause you to cry. You do them now and you are okay. Yes, your heart must, it has to break your heart. That the sin you would commit you would commit before and you would cry. Now you are committing the same sin and it's not moving you. Uh, it has to break your heart. Is everybody getting what I'm saying? Somebody reached out to me one time. Someone closed. I was very sad. I'm like, what's happening? Person said she did something she's not proud of. Ah. Do you know what moved me? That it could spoil her day. Some people do it life, your day is still the same. You know, God is faithful. 
you know, because when it comes to ministry, God will always show up. When it comes to your devotion, you have to check yourself. He will show up, but you have to check yourself. Your personal devotion. That's why you see people that can go six months without praying and they will still come to a gathering of believers and will still give word. They will still give word. Touch a dead person in the name of Jesus. Wake up! But you jack back to life. It's so that the name of God will be praised. <laughs> God will show up. For your personal devotion, it has to break your heart. Some of you don't even now lie has just become like some people is not seen again. Lie, just lie, lie, lie. Ah! Say white lie, blue lie. Even these are our catalysts. When they walk on camp meeting, you know, they lie. They tell me, sir. They say, what do you tell them? They say, ah, sir, we told them that my mom. Hey, I have to ask them, like, I get that you want to come, but the fact that it's not shaking you people as you are telling me this thing. So it's not a lie now, technically. Ah. Huh? Uh? Go line technology. <laughs> you are checking when he passed the line. <laughs> but jokes aside, jokes aside, he has to break your heart. You have to consider it that before now, there was a time when, when you've done something wrong. You don't want to enter, you never want to enter church. But now you just even give a word of knowledge. Somebody here. It has to break your heart before you would cry. And it's an indication of a bigger problem. What I'm talking about, because we, we've taught you about the holiness that is of God and how these things does not affect you're choosing and you're being called by God. So many times what I'm talking about, a lot of people don't even consider it. But it's an indication of a bigger problem. Things that before would impact you, they no longer impact you. They no longer affect you. It's a serious problem. And it's a basic part of life. Hallelujah. It's a basic part of life. Every human has something on your inside called what? The moral law. What's the moral law? An internal compass that tells you what is right from what is wrong. But even in that, some of you have reached a place where Paul describes as a said conscience that just like your mommy will carry pots from hot fire and she will not feel it and you want to try it, it will burn your hand. What she did to her hand is that she said it. By constantly burning that hand with fire, she had killed all the receptors in that hand. That's what you do to your conscience. By knowing that what you are doing is wrong and still intending, you know, and still continuing in it constantly, you are searing your conscience. It's an indication of a bigger problem. Some of you are looking at me like, sir, you've never thought this before. <laughs> 
Today's is message of grace too that I'm preaching to you. It's a balance. Hallelujah. It's what? It's called what? A said conscience. Before the law was given, people knew what was wrong from what was right. Joseph said, how can I do it and, and do what? And sin against God. Why was there sin if there was no law? Hallelujah. This was in there. Everyone knows. A moral compass at work. Praise Jesus. It's a moral standard that everyone you know, in the world has. I use this a lot against atheists. I use this against one guy. I don't know what he is. It's not an atheist. not an agnostic. It's a mixture of everything in the office. He's telling me that he has the answers. I'm like, how do you have the answers? He said one day he was asking for the questions of life and he sat down in one part of his room and he started to have out-of-body experiences. He was checking out and checking back. So good, good, good. I said, that's good. So he said, my reality is not your reality. I said, okay, that's fine. So I asked him and I said, um, he said, standard of truth. He said, there's no standard of truth. I said, do you know the implication of what you are saying? So I gave him an example. You know this color that not everybody sees the same way? One blue color like that. Good. I said, if, you, if, you, if I put it on the wall, I say, and I ask you what is there. If you see a different color, does that mean it's a different color? You are just an aberration. Something's wrong with your own eyesight that's making you look different. Because if majority of people see a color and you see a different color, there's an explanation. So there has to be something that is true. There are things that you don't even see. If you say that there's no standard of truth, there's, you are going to contradict. Ah! That means I can't believe that I'm really stepping on solid. Do you get, like, if you think about it deeply. And so he like, said, no, no, it's not. I say, okay, I don't know what to use against for him. He tackled everything. I say, okay. I say, everybody in the law, in the world, has a moral compass. And this is a good argument against atheists as well. Right? So I said, everybody in the world has a moral compass, knowing what's right from what's wrong. He said, no, it's not true. I said, if nature is not involved, regardless of who you are, if you see a dog and a baby drowning, you will save the baby. As long as nature is not involved, you will save the baby. Abi, am I lying? You save the baby. Even an atheist to save the baby. Why? Who gave us the instruction? He said, no, it's passed down from DNA to DNA. I said, okay, that's good. So his explanation was this, that the instruction on who to save was passed in our DNA. So our parents have already decided that save baby. So when they give birth to you, they pass the... When I was when I knew, I don't even know what he's saying. Okay, I said, okay, no wahala. It's passed down, Abi. So I asked him, I said, you see two different siblings, no matter the instruction that their parents be, what they be, you still see them behave differently. That one was not passing DNA, Abby. Even twins behave differently. So that nullifies your DNA argument. It's a moral law that is at work. A standard, a universal standard. And so here's the argument against the atheists. If there is a moral law, then there has to be a moral law giver. Someone has to have set the standard. Is that clear? So everybody, I just said that in passing. So everybody has this compass on their inside. A sense of, of accountability to something greater. Paul begins to describe God's anger to unbelievers in Romans chapter 1. We start from verse 19. It says, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Verse 20, he says, 
For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. And they clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Do you know what that means? That even the people in the world that don't know God, know that God exists from the things they can see. That by seeing his physical attributes and qualities, you can understand that there's a God behind these things. So the things of the world, the, plant, the, the paintings in the canvas, the, the, the intentionality in creation, all you can see is a sign to an intelligent designer. Are you with me? It's a sign that there is a God. In 24, it says, wherefore God gave, in 24, it says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the loss of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. It says, and even as they did not, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up towards a reprobate mind to do also the things that are not convenient. So listen, they knew that it was not convenient to do the evil things they are doing. Do you get it? They knew there's a sense in them even the homosexuals you see today, there is a sense in them. Why do they hide before they come out? Do you think they've not always existed? You know Paul described them here, men sleeping with... So if they've always existed, there's a sense of it being wrong. Yeah, the rest of the things I was going to talk about, I forgot him. So add to my note, but it's fine. There's a sense... In them, a sense you know what is right from what is wrong. So even the people in the world know what is right from what is wrong. And that's a challenge to you. Because if the people that are not saved know that it's inconvenient to sin, how much more you, the believer? Do you get what I'm saying? How much more you, the believer, you have something more than just a moral compass. So how much more you? There are many calls about this in the Bible. Oh, you say it's the Old Testament that's talking about it. Have you read the Bible? First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, he says, abstain from what? Fleshly loss, which war against the soul. Is this a New Testament instruction or not? Are you people sleeping? Is it a New Testament instruction or not? Abstain. Romans 8.13. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. If you live through the spirit, mortify what? The deeds of the flesh. Romans 13, verse 14, it says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision, provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Are these instructions on personal holiness or not? They are. Ephesians 4.22, it says that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. It says, and be renewed in the spirit. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It says, but now ye also put off all this anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. It says, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. 
and have put on the new man, which is the renewed knowledge after the image of him that is created. All these are instructions about the new man. Are you with me? He's talking to you about these things like there are things you can't do. Don't say I'm helpless. Hallelujah. This is important. Philippians 4.8. He says, whatsoever are true, whatsoever are pure, think on these things. Colossians 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell what? Richly in you. In all wisdom, teaching and admonition. So let the word of Christ dwell words richly, not any other thing. Are these instructions on the personal holiness or not? Are they in the New Testament or not? Galatians, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore by the message of God. He says, present your body, what? A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. Do you know what a living sacrifice is? Living dead. Not living for yourself, but living for God. Because who you used to be is dead. Are you getting what I'm saying? Second Corinthians 7.1 Having therefore these promises dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting what? Holiness in the fear of God. The New Testament is replete with instructions on personal holiness. Can I tell you something? The first holiness has everything to do with the second holiness. Are you getting what I'm saying? Because the mark of God, which I spoke about before, which is the circumcision, do you know what he meant really? It was a symbol. What did they do? Or what do they do in circumcision? They cut off the foreskin. Hallelujah. They cut off the foreskin. So not only was it a mark that you belong to God, but it was a symbol to signify the putting off and the putting away of the flesh. Are you getting what I'm saying? A putting away of what? Of the flesh. For us, when we receive the spirit, it says that what? We put away the flesh and the deeds of the flesh. We put off what? The old man. And we put on what? The new man. He has everything to do. Sanctification is what? The ministry of the spirit. If the Lord marks you by the spirit, it isn't just the marking that happens. It's a regeneration of hearts. I taught you about the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification was one of them, right? One of the points on that, that was what? Being a regulator. He marks us as sons of God, yes. But he sanctifies us unto what? Good works. Man could not attain holiness before God through his works. Why? There was a mechanism of sin working in him. Hallelujah. When Christ did the work on the cross... He did a complete walk. 
in the sense that not only did he make your sin go and wash away your sin, he solved the problem of the future. So, the solution to stop man from sinning wasn't that Christ just died on the cross to wash your sins away. But he made it available, made it possible for the spirit of God to live on your inside. Why? So that the mechanism of the, of the old will be destroyed and a new mechanism will be working in you. That will do what? That will cause you to walk and to do according to God's good pleasures. It's a complete walk. God never intended for the Lord to make man holy. You know that. By attempting, man will always fall short of God's standard. The law actually was to expose man's inability to save himself. So when they were looking for the new covenants, they probably thought it was more regulations and more laws. But God said, no. It's not more regulations and more laws. The law was saying, thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. And Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 36. You see why I said, Pastor Nelson was teaching my teaching. <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 36 and 26, sorry. It says, a new heart I will give you. This is where? Old Testament. A new heart I will give you. A new spirit I will put on you. It says, it says, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you what? A heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You see that? The law was limiting in that. He was saying, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. You were restricted. But now, God is saying he will put his spirit inside you. And rather than thou shalt not, he said, you shall walk in my statutes. You will know my law. It will be written on your heart. Your heart will not be stony, leading on to death. Your heart will not be stony, always committing sin. But rather, your heart will be regenerated. You don't need to read the tablets to see what the laws of God are. Your, your heart is regenerated. You know the laws of God and you act according. Jeremiah 31, 33. It says, but this shall be the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, said the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. I will write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they will be what? My people. So now we are not trying to keep external commands. The laws of God are written where? Inside your heart. This is how sanctification happens. So when the spirit is on your inside, what does he do? He regenerates you. He changes your desires. Do you see how both, both, both work hand in hand now? The Holy Spirit isn't just a mark of God upon your life. He is. And by every standard, you are holy and righteous. But if truly is on your inside, we shall see the results. Are you with me? Romans 6, 3-4. Know ye not that so many of us as we are baptized into Jesus Christ, we are baptized into what? His death. It says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto death. That like Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should what? Walk in the newness of life. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? That every time you walk in the spirit and you do not fulfill the lust of the flesh, you are testifying that Jesus is risen. You don't get it. If truly Jesus is risen, you will not commit those sins steadily as you are you don't get it it says we are buried with him 
in baptism. He says that what? Like Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of, of the Father, even so we should what? walk in the newness of life. You know, the resurrection that was described, when scripture says those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, it talks about the fact that if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, the same Spirit shall do what it shall put in your mortal body. He was not just talking about one resurrection. First of all, he was talking about the resurrection that will happen in the end, but also he was talking about the resurrection from the old man to the new man, from the man who was dead in sin to a man who is alive in Christ. Do you get it? So the work that God did in Christ was to make you alive in him. Ephesians chapter 2 begins to talk about we who were dead in trespasses have been quickened. It says, for by grace are we saved. Are you getting what I'm saying? It has to be evident in your life that Christ is risen. And that you are risen with him. I'm not dead to sin. I'm alive in Christ. And the newness of life has to show in your personal holiness. You see, there are many things that these actions will do. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, you are, whole, you are a chosen generation, a holy nation, a royal priest to the holy nation, a peculiar people to do what? To show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into what? What are you doing? You are showing forth. One of the reasons why this holiness is important is that you are showing forth that you have been changed. I told you before, I said that we don't need to see good works to know that you are saved but if you are saved we should see good works so good works are not a perfect pointer to a man that is saved because people do good works and they are not saved but still if i see your good works i should be able to know that you are saved you don't get it because if i don't see good works you cannot claim to be that you are saved because a man that is saved a man that has a regenerated spirit must produce good works. Are you with me? So if I don't see good works, I can know that you are not saved. So it's important. It is what? It is important. But for those that are without, it says to do what? To show forth the praises of him. How do we know that you've been called out of darkness into light if we don't see your works. Not us now, those that are without. Because wherever you go, if you're an ambassador for Christ, it means we see you. People used to say one funny thing, that your character will preach. Your character cannot preach. The gospel must be preached. Your character is not what? The gospel is a message. It's not a behavior. But if you are truly saved from your character, we should be able to thank God. We should see God's praises. We should know. Hallelujah. You're an example. So the man God uses takes sanctification very seriously. What did I say? The man God uses takes sanctification very seriously. What are the criteria for picking a bishop? He did not say a man that is saved. 
You know that? Yes, he has to be saved. But the criteria for picking a, a, a bishop says you must be of good reports. What else was there? Full of the spirit, a man with his household must be intact. Wife, everything. Taking care of everything. Are you with me? So if the reports did not matter, I will not mention it. Will not mention it. You go to some camps, I'm sorry to say, but just hear funny stories. Cannot be here. Just hear funny stories. Nathan said something. He said, because of what David had done, he said the name of God will be what? Blasphemed amongst the hidden. You need to think about that. As amongst unbelievers, there are some things that you will do that will damage the PR of God. And you have to be conscious of the PR of God. When I mean PR, I'm talking about the reputation of God. God's public image. Because if you're an ambassador of a person, wherever you go, you represent that person. Some people cannot trust God again because of what some believers have done. Man of God, woman of God. She's getting close to you. She's getting close to you. Your head cannot remind you that you should stay separate. The man God uses must take this importantly. I'm, I'm telling you this because you know the stage we are in and where God is taking us to. You have to be watchful. Man of God, fine like this. University like this, just have good business, man of God. Come find. See, and it's not only the guys. Talk about the ladies as well. Nobody is going to hear that they were always disturbing you. All they are going to say is that all these pastors. No, they say all these young ministers. What's young ministers? All these fellowship play people used to play. It's not sure our fellowship, sure. All this choir play people used to play. <laughs> you sit down. The girl come and sit down on your lap. You can't control yourself. Or call God. Randy Hudson. You can hold yourself. You say, no, hit my body is dead. <laughs> I laugh at you. I'm discipling. I'm discipling. So why is it that it's only women that have been coming to me when I disciple? Change it. Go and preach to men. Hey, I will laughing. Let me tell you. Okay. Why are you laughing? You don't know why you're laughing. Let me explain to you. It's true. It happens. Why? Ladies find it easy to submit to male mentors. I experienced it a lot in school. But I'm saying, go and disciple men. I'm not saying you cannot disciple women. So I have a lot of powerful women of God that I disciple here. Some of them are online. Are you with me? But oh, your ministry is only women, 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 women. I know one time I noticed, I said, God, what is all this? I say, I'm going for men. And many times, wherever you find yourself, women always multiply men. I don't know how, but it just happens. There are always more women than men. So if you count, there are probably more women here in our ministry than men. But that's totally fine. There's no problem in that. So, it's important. 
He toasted you. She toasted you. Okay, women, let me tell you. He toasted you. You did not agree. You say because you cannot date a guy that is not spiritually inclined. In answer, he's going to convert today. You two, you are now doing. If you are not careful, he will draw you. <laughs> he will draw two of you. <laughs> and then you go back. So you have to be very careful with all those things. There are many examples I can give. Many things that people can relate with. Let's define every relationship around us. Eh? All this. You all give me too much. Some of you say I hug with side hug. Why would I not hug with side hug? Don't put me in trouble. The Bible. The Bible's response to temptation. Is to run away. You think the Bible does not know you are a man of power. Full of glory. Run. Run, oh. Hallelujah. This is important. So, you have to take it seriously. Man of God. Woman of God. No shade to anybody who is struggling with anything. But never get comfortable. What did I say? And you get so used to that action or that activity of sin. So, you have to take this very seriously. So, I've given you two things. First was what? That you are what? Ambassadors for Christ. And through you, people see God. And if you see Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 14 to 15, it says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Many people have interpreted this as that if you don't have peace and holiness, you will not see God. Or something I know. That's not what he's saying. If you read it in context, it says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. It says, looking diligently, lest any man fails of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So he's talking about something you can do that can cause others to be defiled. And we all know that works will never get you saved. So what is he talking about here that without which no man shall see the Lord? If you look closely, and I don't have time to explain so much, um, there's a word... Um, I think I've taught some of you before, TSKS, um, where the, the Greek word kai, are you with me? Nobody's with me. Okay, good. So the, the kai conjunction, um, conjunction in the English, that means something else in the Greek. So the Greek word and there in the English means something else in the Greek. So um, you see something like... Um, um, let me think of an example now of where it was used. Why did everything stick in my mind now? Example of where the Kai conduction was used. Who remembers anyone? Okay, grow in the knowledge of um, grow in wisdom and the knowledge of God. So there, it looks like he's saying to grow, you know, it's growing grace and the knowledge of God. And it looks like he's saying growing grace and people are like, how will you grow in grace? Well, he's saying grow in grace, which is the knowledge of God. So, and there, rather than being joining, means an explanation, which is, you're mentioning one now. Blessed be God and Father, blessed be God, which is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, baptized with water and of spirit. So, baptized with water, which is the spirit. Are you with me? Good. So, um, and if you look at it, it says, follow peace with all men and holiness. Do you see that? That same word being used here 
you know, in that way. So, and he says, with which you cannot see the Lord. So, he isn't talking about us. He's talking about the fact that follow peace with all men and holiness, that by people observing your holiness, they see God. Do you understand what I'm saying? He, when he goes on that, he says, lest any root of bitterness springs up and trouble you that would defile others. So what are you going to do that would defile others by not behaving in that consistent holy pattern? Do you see that? You can cause problems for others. Are you with me? Is this clear? So the things you allow impact others are the things he's speaking about. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 1, it says, it is reported commonly that there is fornication amongst you. And such fornication is not so much as named among Gentiles. Do you see that? He's, he's disappointed. How do you have fornication in the church and you don't have among Gentiles? Are you with me? You see some circle, some disgusting, funny rumors going on in your circle. And even unbelievers that don't even know God. Do not experience this. They just respect each other because of moral law. Hallelujah. It says that one of you should have his father's wife. So in that time, somebody had the mind to go and take his father's wife. And he was not hiding it. I'll give you the modern day equivalent of that. Oh, that you, buddy, I don't know. That's what you're doing, bro. At least, and there's no more than equivalent. <laughs> so you do it again. Don't go. He <laughs> says, and you are puffed up, and have not, and have not rather mourned that he had done the deed and might be taken away from you. So do you see Paul's perspective? Someone did such a thing amongst you, and you guys are not crying. You are not angry. You do not chase him from amongst you. Oh, this was where I wanted to talk about it. We love you. God loves you. You might have feelings of homosexuality. We love you. With the love of God. Homophobia is a sin. Because even Jesus didn't hate anybody. He came to die for them. So we love you. We accept you to you know, be amongst us. We dine with you. We do stuff. But if you start dating and we know your partner in the church, something is wrong. I know churches like that, and I'm not here with you. I'm not here to call out churches. Because of the people you are going for, you have to accept some, something. That's rubbish. I'm telling not maybe not the churches, the youth churches. There's some. You churches, you know now that when they begin to talk about this subject matter, there's a passive, there's an acceptance of it. We don't hate you. It's the sin that we have a problem with. Are you with me? We love you. You are accepted. But like in this case, you carry your father's wife and you're coming to church and all of us are fine with it. Oh, we love you. Oh, you're dating. Wow. You're going to adopt. Oh, my God. Wow, that's going to be so cute. So who's going to be the dad? Oh, the dad. God, when? <laughs> Is something all wrong? I'm not joking with you. There are churches today that accept them and their actions. Just do whatever you like. They tell you, oh, the Bible has grown from the days of our... Uh, fathers things have progressed you know the bible is a progressive book you know 
um, revelation shifts per community. Uh, I slap your mouth at that revelation. <laughs> this was what I was going to talk about it. I remember. You see this instance. See, if you like, be warned before. If you like, sleep with all the man, all the men that are in this neighborhood. If you come to us and you have a changed heart and you believe the gospel. And we see you honestly working everything you do to perfect personal sanctification, even though we know you are holy and blameless before God in love, who accepts you. Do you get what I'm saying? Some of you are quick to, ju- to judge them and condemn them. Are you not facing something similar? Masturbation, pornography, because it's hidden. Are you with me? So if we see you strugg- honestly struggling, but we pray the gospel to you, you believe. You are, you are ready. We see, the, we see you accepting the work of the Holy Ghost on your inside to give you a changed desire. We accept you. We don't have any problem with you. We work with you. We help you get over it. I told somebody one day, I said, if it means you have handled some cases like that, I said, if it means you not marry, not ma- marry, not to act on this desire, I'm happy. I'm fine. As long as you are. Do you get what I'm saying? We spoke. If you face it, let me tell you, it's a real problem. Brothers around you face it, you don't just know. And it does not mean they are not saved. Do you get what I'm saying? But to get comfortable with sin is to accept the plan of the devil. That's why false doctrine is a problem. Because the devil is not going to stop you from preaching. What he's going to do is pervert the message. Raise up ideas like this in, in the community of God. Where you can do church, all you are teaching is relationship and acceptance of people the way they are. Now, okay, you might have an idea of the churches I'm talking about now. It's only relationship and acceptance of people the way they are. Come as you are. And then you come. Instead of there to be transformation, no transformation. Hallelujah. There's a reason why I stopped here to buttress this point, though. There's a reason. So, like this guy, and Paul is like, You're not money, you're not crying. Are not crying. Somebody is walking around with his father's wife. Hallelujah. He says, For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has done so in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you gather together, and my spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, deliver such a person to, to Satan for destruction. That's how serious you must take sin and evil around you. Later, there was an acceptance back. But as long as we fully, if you continue to do this, you can. Let's continue. You get passive with sin. Do you get me? You cannot. He says, your glory is not good. Know ye not that what? A little leaven. Leaven the lump. Do you know what that means? A little yeast. It's supposed the whole dough. That's what he's saying. Evil communication corrupts what? Good manners. If you allow one, you allow plenty. Don't let it be found in your camp. Purge the old leaven that you may be what? A new lump that are unleavened. 
The Bible many times used this to refer to sin and false doctrine as well in some places. Hallelujah. It says, for Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Don't allow bitterness. Follow this. The man in Christ, the man God uses is a representative of Christ. Both in deeds, in actions. So there's a balance. In the balance yet, I would explain further. Personal holiness will never help you attain righteousness, but when you are saved, we would see personal holiness. Do you get it? I think some people don't get it. Personal holiness will never help you attain right standing with God, rather, it's an expected outcome of salvation. Is that clear? So you are not wrong of thinking of personal holiness, but primarily holiness is being separate. Have you seen the balance? The first holiness, the second holiness, and how they merge. Is this clear? Let's talk a little bit about God's holiness. God is holy. He's separate. He's transcendent. transcendent. He's, He's above the world. Hallelujah. And there's a certain way to, you know, to perceive God's holiness. Some people describe it as, as, as the ambivalence of God. And what the ambivalence of God means is that there's something about the holiness of God that makes God so attractive for you to be with him, but yet so scary because you feel like you'll be judged. He's so holy and you are so unclean. Are you with me? Now, let's continue. In the Old Testament, and we need to take our minds, and where I'm taking you to through this is a journey, is to bring your mind somewhere. In the Old Testament, the priests would enter the most holy, holy place, rubbing what on his body? The blood of lamb. Hallelujah. So it was a ritual. There were a lot of rituals they did before he would enter, unless his dead body they would drag out. Though. Are you with me? But this brings something to mind. It is not worthy to see that personal holiness was still not what made the priest able to enter the temple. It was the blood of the lamb. Do you get it? Are you seeing the balance? Holiness in an ideal situation has nothing to do with your works. But as a result of that holiness, that choosing, we would see personal holiness at work. Your life will be a contradiction if we don't see personal holiness as a result of your salvation. Do you understand me? It's a contradiction. The confidence of the high priest was not in his works. It was in the rituals. It was in the blood. And so in the Old Testament, a lot of people were so, so, so conscious about what we do, what we will not do. You cannot touch a dead body. You cannot... You know, do this on one day. And many of us are like that today. Now, I've taught you about it too. I want to give you a balance here. That's where we are going to. And many of us are like that today. We are so conscious of what to do, what not to do, to get contaminated. You know, I've told you about the, the, the problem of allowing sin in your community, right? But now I want to tell you about this. You know, where we are now is now... You know the, the difference between both. 
But there's now so much of that consciousness of, oh, if you should touch me, if I should do this, if I should not, just like the Old Testament. You know, you know, there are some judges today that if you're if you're on your period as a woman, you cannot enter the church. Why are you pointing there? <laughs> you are really like main tiger. That's what Larry can do. You heard them last night. <laughs> you are just beside water. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Uh, is it not beach that's beside water? Um Bay Area that's beside water. What did I say that is there? Why are you looking at me like that? I didn't say anything now. What else is beside water? Boats. Sheep. All right. Let me continue my teaching. <laughs> so let me go into my teaching. Um, so just the same way nowadays, a lot of us are so conscious of what we will not do. So you ask me questions like, if I eat meat sacrificed to idol, you know, we answered that in First Corinthians. Have we read First Corinthians? Right? Will it contaminate? Do you understand the holiness of God at all? So you are so conscious of those things. Please, ah, I've sinned against you and against heaven. You give me salami. I, I did not know it's meat. I don't know. Ah, after I ate it, I said, why do you uh, confess? You ate meat. You are doing this thing. What did Paul respond to that? What did Paul say about that? Exactly. It's not what's... Exactly. So that's not going to contaminate you. But if it's going to affect another person, then don't do it. Are you with me? Good. So nowadays we are still conscious like that. A lot of you, ah, not close my eye when I was praying. We are saying, Jesus, you've not heard me do that. I not cover my hair when I was praying. Oh my God, an angel is going to knock you. What's that? You know, we grew up with stories like that. But listen. The perspective to holiness that you have to have now has to be beyond that. I've taught you the importance of personal holiness. And the reason why I did that is so that you see that I'm not contradicting myself in what I'm about to teach you now. Your perspective to holiness has to be beyond that. The Bible shows you a perspective where under the law, the woman with the issue of blood should not be seen outside. Because when you're on your, on your period in that time, if you come outside, there's a problem because everyone you touch is contaminated. I might not even be able to enter the temple. Are you with me? So, under the law, she shouldn't be outside. But guess what? She went out and she said, if only I can touch the hem of his garment. Listen, she was going to hide and say, let, let me just hide. Make them not catch me. Let me just touch and steal this power and just run away. And she got there and she touched the hem of his garment. And rather than Jesus being contaminated with her, she received that healing. That has to be different. He has to open your mind to something. He has to do what? Open your mind to something. Nobody knew that the healing had happened. Only Jesus knew that virtue had been drawn from him. He didn't stop her. Hey, hey, hey. You think he did not know that she was in her period? Issue of blood that I don't remember to just say period. When I say period, you think it's issue of blood that has lasted. 
Hallelujah. This brings your mind to something. Hallelujah. It has to bring your mind to what? To something. Isaiah finds himself before God and he's describing God sitting, describing his experience and he begins to lament. I'm a man with unclean lips. How shall I... What happened? An angel came and touched his lips. And rather than the angel being contaminated, what happened? Isaiah was made clean. Some of us, rather than seeing the transformation that the holiness of God does, you are, too, you are preserving. You are preserving. You are preserving. You have to trust in that transformation. Hallelujah. You have to do what? Trust in that transformation. An unclean person who shouldn't be in the presence of God is transformed. Jesus meets lepers. Lepers don't stay in the same community with people. You know that. Lepers don't stay in the same because why? If they touch anybody, the person is contaminated. Jesus touched the leper. And rather than being contaminated, the leper was healed. There's something about this holiness I'm talking about. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The holiness of God is transforming. So listen. I started all of that to show you something as men of God and women of God. To show you where you should be as a person having both balance. But when it comes to going out into the world, your disposition first isn't the person's personal holiness. Your disposition first is the holiness of God. God doesn't care how long you've been in the scene. If you were unclean and you are touched, you will be made clean. Hallelujah. You'll be what? Made clean. I spoke about the ambivalence of God. I spoke about the fact that God, in, in, in who he is, he's so far and you're like, I can't come near. Why? He's so righteous. He's so holy. I'll be judged. But guess what? In the holiness of God, in his holiness, what did he do? He made Jesus available. His holiness and his justice made him punish Jesus on your behalf. So the holiness of God, rather than consuming you, is now on your side. Do you get it? It's now on your side. That unapproachable holiness that you shouldn't be able to reach is now on your side. Is that clear? It's now here. On your side. So when you go out and you preach to a man, trust in the transforming power of God. To sum up all my points, the man God uses is a man that is chosen. And you know what I mean by being chosen. The man God uses is a man that prioritizes sanctification. And the man God uses 
isn't thinking of self-preservation when he's going into the world but he's thinking of what the transforming power the transforming power of god so the same thing you experienced is what those you preach to would experience rise upon your feet and pray in the language of the spirit Radabala da di di garabaya. Zadi di 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 di